I'm Molly O'Connor. And I'm Sarah Connell Sanders. And you're listening to Pop It. This is the podcast for popping <laughs> questions, puppy bottles, and popping out babies. Yes. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> and pop culture. That is my beautiful daughter in the background. She'll be uh, our special guest today. Different kind of bottles. Hopefully a quiet guest. Yeah, but you know. <laughs> Who doesn't love a baby cooing, you know? Exactly. She's doing just fine. So, oh, well, while <laughs> I'm popping something, I have seltzer today, but it's not Polar, because Polar seltzer was $7 for a 12-pack. one? For, yeah, for, like for one. one. Pack of it? Oh, and man. so my husband said he was going on a strike, and he bought the generic. It's not bad. And I think... That you had to. I've been on I've been on a spindrift kick lately, but that runs like four ninety nine. I love spindrift. It's more expensive, but it's like more substantial. It's different. Yeah, it, there's like a little bit of juice. I'm very picky about my spindrift flavors. Like I only like certain ones. Those natural flavors, they're full of mystery, so you kind of have to try them all and decide. Yes. But okay. uh, speaking of mysteries, <laughs> the second week in a row, we got ghosted by Allison Porter. I've been ghosted by. A person who starred in a movie with Jim Belushi. I'll give her the first time. It was oh, yeah, no, the before. first time was totally she, fine. She scheduled it, but it was a Jewish holiday, and so, you know. There was just, like, mis... Miscommunication. Whatever, yeah. Misschedule. Not, and we, we understood that one. Right now, I don't know where she is. Allison, where are you? Where are you? Sebastian, Allison's PR guy. Where <laughs> is she? We were going to be talking with Allison Porter because she is coming to Worcester for an event. Right, Sarah? <laughs> Right, Sloan? <laughs> yeah. Yee! Um, yes, she will be in Worcester at Polar Park for an event thrown by Positively for Pink, October 22nd from 12 to 8 p.m. There will be eight bands, including artists Allison Porter and Ricky Duran. And so I was excited to support this because the woman that runs it, Michelle Power, is pretty incredible, and she just felt really drawn to help women struggling with cancer and their families. If you do not know why we're going to talk to Allison Porter specifically or who she is, she um, was born in Worcester, and she has Worcester roots. So her grandmother is Charlotte Klein, grandmother, right? Her grandmother is Charlotte Klein um, of the Charlotte Klein Dance Center. She has Worcester roots. Um, she comes from a family of people who perform, and she, from childhood, has had kind of an insane career path. Um, yeah, more more than I realized. So I knew her. I just knew her from the cover and the poster of that movie Curly Sue that she was in as a kid. And I also remember my mom mentioning here and there, like, even pre, for example, The Voice, she'd be like, oh, that girl, she's from Worcester. She's an actress, right? Yeah, and Curly Sue had been plastered all over Worcester when we were kids because we were all like, oh, she's one of us. Yes, I was a little young. Like, I'm younger, but I remember going to this, I guess I would call it, it's a bodega, Essentially, um, in Quinsig Village, the day-night store, it's still there. Uh, my mom and I used to go there, like, every weekend and go rent a movie of, like, out of, like, 50 movies. <laughs> um, they had, like, tons of plants in the store and all this stuff, but they would hang up posters of whatever they had, and that poster was always there. And so, I just knew her face. Yeah, well, <laughs> local lore, if you're familiar, her father was a musician in the band Songaraz, which was my in-law's wedding band, but they made it big. Yeah. In terms of, like, like local bands. Sure, right? Her mother, also a dance teacher. And I think she was also in a chorus line. Her mother was... Yeah, that was you, baby. Yeah. All right. (laughs) She can't have it all. 
She can have a podcast. She can have a baby. Hi, Sloan. So I knew her too from Carly Sue, but she got started even before that. She was the youngest winner ever of Star Search. Yes, which I actually didn't, I maybe like I'd heard it before, but I didn't actually know that until I was looking into it. And the reason she got to Star Search in the first place was because her mom was there as the a, a dance teacher, right, for these twins who turned out to be... The Bud Light Twins? The Bud Light Twins, yeah. The Coors Light Twins? The Bud Light the, Twins? Yeah. I don't know. Something Light Twins. A domestic light beer. <laughs> the Twins. Um, so she was at Star Search with her mom who was doing that, and the Star Search people like just picked her out and were like, you are very talented. You should be on Star Search. So yes, she was the youngest winner. That was 1987. Um, uh, she was f- five. She's five years old at that point, I believe. I really want to ask her just about the dynamics of being a child star that's something I'm really curious about we've watched a lot of our our contemporaries I'm thinking about Lindsay Lohan's people who are our same age that grew up in that world and have struggled with mental health and struggled with addiction yeah speaking of which Lindsay Lohan is back on the market she came out with a Christmas movie or she just came out with a trailer for it but we're gonna see a little more of I've her. seen some interviews with her yeah. recently when she was going through like every outfit she's worn like iconic oh. outfits that she's worn she's always she still is charming she's always had the same charm yeah and i heard some covers that said she's speaking in her natural voice again which i really like and i heard a clip of her and i was like yeah it sounds like parent trap you know that's hallie that is a relief how does john hughes find her and can you tell us who John Hughes is? Well, so back to Crowley so Sue. basically, right I mean, between between 1987 and 1991, there's like these four years, right, where she starts, she wins Star Search at age five, and eventually between there and then being cast in the movie, she does just like appearances on movies and TV shows. She starred, um, or not starred, but she like she makes she has a small role in um, the movie Parenthood, the original movie that was directed by Ron Howard which stars Steve Martin. So she had a bit part in that. She ended up, I think, on an episode or two of Pee-wee's Playhouse. So, like, she had... She worked. She just started... She just started working. And so eventually... She... And she has this look. If you guys have seen her, we'll post a picture, too. Especially when she was a kid, she had this very wholesome, cute little round face, and she did have, like, big curly curls. Curls of hair, right? So I would assume that their paths eventually cross in the sense of just looking for the right kid for this part right and then someone saying well like this girl's been showing up here she is so she was eight or nine i think probably when they filmed it yeah john hughes finds her john hughes is the is one of the i would say john hughes is one of the most famous directors by name that has worked not necessarily by movie, but, like, a lot of people don't know directors' names, right? Oh, And totally. people know who John Hughes is. Okay, can I... I'm sure you'll have more. Yeah. But, like, 16 Candles. Yeah, gives the highlights, right? Club, mm-hmm. Home Alone, mm-hmm. Curly Sue. Curly Sue. National Lampoon's Vacation was written by John Hughes. It was not directed by John Hughes, but he wrote it. Yeah, anything that... Not anything, but those movies that you think of as, like, those sort of quintessential, like, 80s movies... Sometimes for family, like Home Alone, sometimes more like on the teen side, so that all the Brat Pack movies, right? So movies that have Molly Ringwald in them are John Hughes movies, well, for the most part. Is he Ferris Bueller, too? Yes. 
If there's a movie about rich people in Chicago, John Hughes probably made it. Honestly, it's true. If there is a movie that takes place, like, you probably think it's Evanston, and you're like, hmm, it's very likely that he made the movie. Sloan agrees. Um, she liked that one. But She's like, I Curly, know some people from Evanston. Right, exactly. So Curly Sue, um, and Curly Sue is actually the last movie John Hughes made in his life. It kind of hand, right? It really did. And I think a lot of that, I honestly, I don't, think i've ever seen curly soon to be honest um i watched you watched it, it because allison i was doing some very deep research and preparation for this special episode of pop it and one of the things that took me by surprise was steve carell plays the bit part of a waiter in it and i wouldn't even notice i don't think he even says anything but i was like oh my god is that it's michael scott it's so funny you think of someone who you're like, I don't remember when they weren't famous, right? And then you're like, wait, there was a point where they weren't. If I had to describe the plot, please, please. Yes. The story of a homeless con artist and his young companion who gained shelter with a rich divorce lawyer. <laughs> and essentially they're like trying to pull these, um, they're grifters, you know? And yeah. and so I, I enjoyed it, but then the con gets a little too real. And also the lawyer becomes emotionally invested in this little girl. As it always happens. It kind of reminded me of, just reading the plot, um, reminded me of Paper Moon starring Ryan O'Neill and his daughter Tatum. Tatum O'Neill. Yes, Tatum O'Neill. It reminded me a lot of that. It almost seemed like, not a remake, but like the plot. I was like, oh, this sounds just like Paper Moon. But I think the main the main thing people panned about it was that it was over-sentimental, is what it sounded like. It was way too saccharine. It was way too sweet. Yeah, and uh, Alison Porter has a beautiful voice, as will be discussed when we talk about the voice. <laughs> but she has these moments where she just breaks out in a song, and it's not really embedded in the plot in a meaningful way. And, I mean, again, it's supposed to pull at the heartstrings of this cold, remorseless lawyer but yeah it's just sort of in there for like unnecessary pathos you know yeah seems a little disjointed and again I have not seen it I'm not gonna make any critiques this is what I've read (laughs) (laughs) but she's cute the whole time and she's the best part that and that's always a good sign right and so beyond that so she continued to kind of work she did Curly Sue she then moves just like throughout time she goes to like a normal high school in Connecticut, but still kind though, of not yeah, in, in Connecticut. Worcester. Exactly. Yes. She goes to school in Connecticut and in that time she still is like performing. So like in high school she played Anita in West Side Story. Like there's this stuff that she kind of maintained this mm-hmm. even though she wasn't working necessarily within the industry, right? So she grows up, ends up at some point moving to Los Angeles, appearing in The 10 Commandments the musical. In 2004, which I don't know how far it made it, but it starred Val Kilmer. He seems like the best guy ever. I am a Val Kilmer stan. The main thing is that he's kind of like an out there guy, but he's become known lately uh, or in the past like 10 or 20 years for his Mark Twain one man show in which he plays Mark Twain and like does readings and incorporates like makes a full character out of it. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you that's a lot more appealing to me than the musical Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, exactly. So this is 2004. She's working. She has a big enough part in the Ten Commandments to be like build on things, right? Then in 2006, A Chorus Line is being revived um, for its 30th anniversary. A Chorus Line is a musical that opened in 1976. It's very exciting. 
for me personally as a 15-year-old at the time. Allison gets a big part in this revival. And the thing about a chorus line is that all of the parts are featured in a way. Everyone gets a solo basically at some point. The role that she took, a woman named Bibi, is foundational kind of to the core of the show. This is the part when I would have asked 100 questions. <laughs> About being in a chorus line. I have not seen a chorus line, but I did watch a documentary on Netflix about this production. It's about the, yeah, it's literally like, like hey, about that. That's a Worcester girl, mm-hmm. you know? But what made this production so special? Was it the nostalgia? Was it the quality of the work? I think there was, a, I think honestly, a, there were many elements to it. So the thing about a chorus line, which is like, which <laughs> makes watching a documentary about the making of it kind of cool, is that the storyline itself is about casting a chorus line so it literally it takes place in real time over these hours characters of the show are people who are desperate to be cast in a broadway musical basically very meta right so it's very meta in the first place and the show itself when it first opened in 1976 was a huge deal so it was partly nostalgia that makes it a big deal because in the song one it's the fastest it's like the quickest change in the history of broadway for like a full costume change that happens through the whole cast. So there's like that element. A chorus line itself was workshopped by the people that it's based on. What I mean by that is like, it's about actors trying to get parts in a show. And so when it was being developed by Michael, Michael Bennett, Michael Bennett is the person, Michael Bennett conceptualized it. So he created this and he was responsible for like, most of what came out of it, even though he wasn't the person sitting down and writing it. So this this actor, choreographer, Michael Bennett, assembled a group of dancers and people who wanted to be in a chorus line and literally like would sit with them for hours, overnight sometimes, just like for days at a time, and just people would just sit in a circle and tell stories. They would talk about the auditions that they've been on. They would talk about their real lives and what got them there and why they want to be performers and how they ended up being perf- who they are. And he turned that into a stage musical that is like in- extraordinarily like cohesive and put together because he worked with these people who then put it all together. But that's part of what makes the show extraordinary. Is it's, it's stories that people told. It's really more of an ethnographic document than anything else because it just takes a community of people and presents their their real life, right? Doesn't that give more agency too to the people who are starring in it? And so you're bound to like experience a more authentic moving performance. Absolutely. I think that also because it is right, it's it's not even just that agency, but it's that it's it's that hyper reality, right? Mm-hmm. It's the idea that like you intimately really get even if you haven't had the same life experience as these characters, you've still been on an audition. Right. So that baseline of like, God, I hope I get it, which is what they are always <sighs> saying to themselves and singing and whispering, right, is like, is very real. Al- the part that Allison Porter plays, that part of BB, she's involved in a song called At the Ballet. And even, it's not the first number in the show. It's not like, it's just kind of like, it's partway through the first act. But it's really the moment that you understand the gravity of what the show's trying to do outside of the exposition of just like here are a bunch of dancers it's the first time you really sort of understand that it's not just about making a musical it's about the dancers that you watch and sometimes grueling and awful things they've been through but this particular song is about how these three women who are singing it had awful terrible stuff happening in their real life Mm -hmm. and the thing that 
brought them out of it was going to dance class. The writer Marvin Hamlish, who wrote music, basically said about that part, it's, it is what leads to an understanding of the shape and color of the piece as a whole. And so for her to earn that role, not only is a big deal just as that part, but I would, I would love to know what, how you take something like that that's icon, not only like iconic, but has that sort of gravity to it mm-hmm. and make it your own. And to add to that pressure, speaking of reproducing the original, Bayark Lee, who played and did conceptualize one of the characters in the show, originally with Michael Bennett, was the choreographer of this one. So then how do you how do you approach it when you know that, like, for example, she's involved, right? Where it's like, these are people that she knew in real life. Right. So you're taking those characters and it's like, and I think it's more exciting than anything. Mm -hmm. But I do imagine that it would be scary. This is a little bit (laughs) of a digression. But last night I watched The Redeem Team, which is a Netflix documentary about the Olympics, the Olympic basketball team. They had, like, Coach K noticed that the teams for the USA, although we have the greatest basketball players in the whole world, were not performing cohesively. It was mm-hmm. just like this all-star roster they'd bring together for the first time. Egos. Yeah, at the Olympics, but they weren't playing together. And so he really changed the way the Olympics were being approached. And he's a college coach, so he's like kind of um people are underestimating him going into it. Like can he handle the egos of these big time NBA stars? But one of the things he did was he came from a military background, and so he had a bunch of, like, war heroes come in and talk. And then he also had some NBA – I mean, sorry, some U.S. Olympic basketball players from the year that, like, Russia pulled some real funny business come in and tell their story. And then all of a sudden, all of these guys became so much more united under the leadership of Kobe, but also because they had someone real to, like – connect the the spirit of the team to like mm-hmm. it was no longer about them and their gold medals it was about actually representing the troops and representing the former players on this olympic team that had taken it so seriously right so i and highly recommend with the, <laughs> a chorus line it sounds like alison porter like might have had somebody to actually ask about right. the experience to mentor you through that and i think oh that comes back to what makes a chorus line singular in its in its existence, right? It comes back to that idea of like pulling that string of those connections that Coach K made. That's what made it such a phenomenon in the first place, like in 1975, right? That's what made it huge was that like people were like, oh, this is it's feels like a documentary, but it's regular entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's but it's it is having that connection because I think even for the audience, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing that makes the whole thing a more just like more emotional more fulfilling even to watch in a way no I haven't seen it is it kind of like the vagina monologues like everyone has a turn yeah. it is it really is yeah it's, it feels like it's one of those situations where everyone gets a turn and some of people's turns are bigger than others because there are bigger parts than others um but that is exactly what it is is like it's that connection that you have as an audience member and the connection that the actors have to the material that makes it really special. Um, so I think that there was, I think there was, I think it was the first time it had been revived on Broadway as well. So like in 2006, this is a big deal simply just by virtue of being what it is. Right. Right. Um, so 2006 is a chorus line, but 2016 is the voice. What does she do in between there? Does she like pursue a music career? 
that is a good question, right? And I think I think from the outside it got a little bit lost, right? And we talked, you mentioned earlier like Lindsay Lohan, right? Yeah. And having the context of like child actors, right? And so in between, as far as I know, in in the way that like she has been open about 2007 or 2008 is when she kind of started to feel like she had an alcohol problem. And this is something that she's published like in her blog. She's talked about it. So we're not like outing her and I'm not going to, we're not going to speculate on the details of that outside of things that she has shared, but that has, that was an element of like where she sort of disappeared to, because it wasn't like, she's not famous, like in the sense of a Lindsay Lohan, right? But, but she was working. Yeah. Like, she's a very, very successful, like, working actor. Kid, it's funny. I We've been talking a lot about, and by we, I just mean, like, American pop culture devotees have been talking a lot about this memoir, I'm Glad My Mom Died, by mm-hmm. Jeanette McCurdy. She talks about how hard her mom pushed her, and her mom definitely had, like, a personality <laughs> disorder, and so... When she would bring her to auditions and stuff, Jeanette McCurdy was not made to think like, wow, I'm working really hard and I'm 10 years old. She was made to think like, oh, my poor mom had to drive me to all these auditions. And that's classic personality disorder behavior. But I was wondering what her family was like while she was a child star and what sort of supports she had from the outside. You know, if your mom and dad and grandma are all in show business, like, is there this heavy expectation on your shoulders? I don't want to speculate about what led to her substance abuse issues, but I'm glad that she's been, like, so transparent about her journey. Mm -hmm. And also, I'm glad that she finally came back into the limelight with The Voice. Because she did, as Sarah said, she disappeared for a while. 2016, she reemerges on The Voice. Oh as you mentioned. I watched her initial performance and all four chairs turn around. I was about to say, can you like give us like a play-by-play yeah. on the well, tension? <laughs> okay, like from a 2022 standpoint, I started cracking up because Adam Levine like starts sweet-talking her trying to get her on his team. And I was, all I could think was, it is truly unreal how hot you are. Like it blows my mind. Oh my god. Can you give us just a short synopsis oh, as to what Adam I'm talking Levine. about? Yeah, we gotta take a hard turn into Adam Levine territory right now. Adam Levine is a judge of the voice. He's the lead singer of Maroon 5. I think if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have some sense of who he is, right? And also, so lately, meaning, when was that? Like three weeks ago, I think the first one. Yeah. The way that the reason that we are giggling about Anna Levine is that this whole thing started with a young model, um, Sumner. Sumner. I can't remember her last name. Her, her first, first name is name Sumner. Is the important part of the yes, story. Yes, exactly. Um, this young model, she's an, like an Instagram model, basically just did a video where she, to use like internet lingo, exposed <laughs> these text messages. I don't think she named him at first, though. I think well, she just said that it was from... She had sent screenshots to friends of hers that she thought she could share them with in confidence, and then she learned that one of them was leaking it to the tabloids. So she's like, you know what? I'm going to get out in front of the yeah. story and make my own video. Right. And so she essentially makes this video where she shows some of these text messages that give you give, give like pretty good evidence that, that they had been, at, at the very least, like talking in a way that was sexual sexual and I think I think like meeting I think like I think she then I think she alludes later to the fact that like they had some kind of relationship going on he is married to Behati Prinsloo who is a model I believe they have two children one on the way and so he eventually which is why it came up recently because they have the child on the way eventually he basically texts her and is like hey can I name my unborn kid 
your first name. I think it's a, like, I think, he's like, I think it's a cool name. Yeah, and he's like, if it's a boy. Somewhere. Right, which is also weird. Which is also just, like, another added layer of, like, yes. what the fuck, So, <laughs> so basically, this woman is like, it is weird that this guy I'm having an affair with, and I think, like, that's the lingo we've been using, right? Yeah, whether it was an emotional affair yeah. or a physical and affair. And I think she might have said it, too. Know, yeah, because I just read, because I just read um, Emily Ratajkowski. Defending her today, so I'm like now like on this whole thing. We can talk about that later. Essentially, that's the main story of it, and then other people have been just coming out with like sexts, which is such a weird word. But, sex yeah, from but, Adam Levine, and they are not good. It's like imagine your grandpa sexting. Yeah, I just mean, don't like, imagine that. No, that's don't. Gross, but you know what I mean. It really is like the corniest. Stuff you can possibly imagine is what Adam Levine is texting to people. So I think, yeah, I think like having that context, watching the voice at all right now, he's on on it this season or he hasn't been in a couple seasons. But like, I think that kind of brings us to the thing of like, oh, what was it like with Adam Levine in real life? Right. Did he try anything funny? No, I know he didn't. It was just like through our lens of today and recent news. I was like, oh my God. Yes. He also appeared along with one of these other judges that turned his chair for our girl, Allison Porter, Pharrell, in the movie that you were just recommending that I watched last night on HBO. Pop it. Pop star never stop, never stopping. Pop yes. it. And just like pop it. No, pop star never stop, never stopping. So the judges that season were Pharrell. Yeah. Adam Levine. Blake, I must be, right? Blake's yeah. a mainstay. And Christina Aguilera. Yes. And right? she does end up on Christina's team. Yes. Her first song is Blue Bayou by Roy Orbison. And then she. Popularized by. What's, what's that hot woman's name? Linda Ronstadt. In the 70s, she was a real babe. Back when she was dating Governor Moonbeam of California. That's a different... But yes, Blue Bayou. If you don't know Blue Bayou, it's a very like beautiful blues... It's almost got like a bluesy touch to it. It's a romantic song. And you have to be able to sing it pretty well in order to get four chair turns, I would imagine. Yes, and that brings me to the legacy of the voice on in Worcester. Which is enormous. Because another one of our own just got four chairs to turn. Two? Only two. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, man. I'm so, um, so proud of her, and I loved is, her song. It is a long legacy of The Voice, though, which yes. started in, I believe, was it season two or three? Four? With An, Alice or very Carter? No, it was a really early season that... Sam James Sam was James. on. It's, yeah. it's somewhere sub. It's somewhere between the first and the fifth season. Yeah. Sam James appears. We've had a lot of local. Allison Porter, Ricky Duran, who we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Kara, Kara Brindisi. Yes. Who are you? Would know? Is it Brindisi or Brindisi? We can. <laughs> we say my mom always said Brindisi. So I have known Kara for a, a some time now because my mom, who is a Worcester public school teacher, worked under her father who was the principal of that school so that is how we are that's how I initially have been acquainted with her but we yeah. kind of know her from the area we but went to her Halloween party once we did that? I was just looking at pictures and I was like when when Carrie becomes really famous from the voice <laughs> we'll be like here we were yes but she sang a Taylor Swift song um, all too well all right? too well and she did an excellent beautiful. job she ends up on Gwen Stefani's team mm-hmm. who else turned the chair Blake So then it became a Blake and Gwen thing. They're married, right? They are married, and at one point he's like, "You're from where, (laughs) Wooster?" And I wanted to be like, "Blake, you have had at least three or four other people come through from Wooster. You should know." 
Um, and this isn't the perfect way to explain it, but when people can't say it now, I say, like, think about the word mister. Me too. And then just say Worcester. When I say Worcester, I say, like, sometimes I say wuh, but it's a weird, it's a hard, it's not like, it's a very strange it's, yeah, sound. It's it not a, a natural. Term. So that's why I like to it's a get schwa. somebody else to try it. Yeah. I'm like, okay, say Mr. Mm-hmm. And now say Worcester. I think it does end up, I think for a lot of people, it ends up being a schwa, like one of those v- vowel sounds that could be any vowel sound. Can I take right? a pause to yes. bring it back to my girl Taylor? She. Is coming out with a new album next week, I was October twenty first. Like, really right? Yeah, it's called Midnights. It's the story of thirteen sleepless nights in her life. What did um, I just hear about it? Well, she has a collab with Lana Del Rey. That's what it was. I was Ooh. like, I heard something interesting. Yeah, Amanda yes. Sataro and I, AJ Sataro and I, both went to college with, and I was like, oh, I'm one step closer to Taylor. Yeah. But I've enjoyed, she's been doing these like little videos at midnight leading up to the release. And I just really like her aesthetic too. She's dressed like super 70s. It reminds me of Almost Famous actually. The 70s like chill vibe. Yeah. And then people have been giving a lot of cadence to the Gaylor theory that um, she might be a bisexual woman, which I think is interesting. And I don't think it had ever been in a mainstream publication, like all of these fans' crazy theories about her and Carly Kloss or Like, I would else. just see so many things on Tumblr. Yeah, and <laughs> then Rolling Stone published a piece, and I was like, wow, that's a really legitimate fact-checking kind of publication. So there's a lot of thought that perhaps um, she'll be talking more about her sexuality on this album and that like some of the things that really didn't line up, maybe because of COVID, maybe not, but like even You Need to Calm Down where she was wearing the bisexual colors and her hair and she had all of these gay icons with her in the video that like maybe she was leading up to something for the Lover Fest, Lover Tour that was going to happen and then COVID happened and... Who knows, but keep your ears open. I think our girl Taylor might reveal um, more dimension to her journey. Well, because I think that for some people who are a part of like the LGBTQ plus community, that's been a source of frustration because it feels like what people would call like gay baiting, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like that you've noticed you're tapping into like this group of fans. So I think that some people have felt like that was the case. And maybe it was and maybe it wasn't. No, and that's who, what and I'm who knows, everywhere. right? And who knows how much of it comes down to her and who comes or how much comes out to marketing and stuff like that, right? right. Publicity. But that is very interesting. I hadn't heard that part of it. Because you don't want to, like, you know, spear her out of the closet when she's not ready. Totally. But also, I mean, Rolling Stone printed an article because there's enough evidence that perhaps she's leaving these well they call all of her hints easter eggs about her songs and things like this this would be more like coded uh ways that she's working through her own sexuality now she seems like for the last six years she's been in a very happy relationship with a man joe alwyn which does not preclude anyone from being bisexual to be very clear right um but yeah i do think right and you've seen it but i i think that because it's been for her maybe feeling and this is all speculation once again, but she might feel like that's a safe outlet for her, right? To like, to experiment with like how she expresses it. But on the other side of it, that's where people are like, okay, so this is like a game to you where you like, you're putting, you're dropping hints. And some of the times guys, just so you know, some of the things that she does are just things you can take them at face value. Yeah, It's totally fine to just accept (laughs) things that Taylor puts out as things that she just wants you to hear. There Um, are some crazy (laughs) Swifty 
days on the internet right now, like counting the punctuation in the closed captions and oh thinking God. it's Morse code. Leave the girl alone. I know. And um, she definitely has fun with it sometimes. Totally. But some of it, it is, she's like, oh, can I hint at something three years in advance? And then she just like takes the crazy theories and she's like, look, I planned right. this. You know? Sometimes I feel like though, right. And it has, it really has nothing to do with her. It's just the fact that like some people treat it like the Zapruder footage where you're like, oh my God, like let's examine every single second and and you sometimes you guys you just whoever you are if you're doing this you just gotta let her do music sometimes you know my husband's <laughs> t-anon like the taylor yes. swift equivalent of q-anon he's yes. like girl just let it go just enjoy the music it is fun though and, and i get i get both sides of that though yeah. where like sometimes you do want to have that element of fun um, I was not this deep in it except for the TikTok algorithm. All of a right. sudden, I get fed all of these theories. Well, I think things. everyone gets a little sucked into it, right? And I love it, but then at the same time, sometimes it's gone too far. Right? And I'm not about it, to learn Morse code. Sometimes I feel bad for Taylor because I just want to, because I think sometimes she just is like, can I live? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, totally. Um, to recap, guys, we started <laughs> by talking about Allison Porter, who was on The Voice. We then talked briefly about Adam Levine, went back to The Voice, <laughs> then it brought us to talking briefly about Carabin Dizzy, who is our current Worcesterite on The Voice, but wait, then we talked about Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping, because Pharrell was once on The Voice, and he's in that, which led us, I think... <laughs> To Taylor Swift. Is that right? Oh, Taylor Swift was also a Kara. Uh, yes, Kara saying this up. Okay, good. Yes. I got the order a little bit wrong. And Adam Levine and Pharrell are both in that movie, yes. Pop Star Never Stop Popping. It's very funny watch. It is, it is a mockumentary about someone across between Justin Bieber and the Beastie Boys, essentially. Played and by like Andy Samberg. And like a little bit of Justin Timberlake, which then comes oh, full circle. Justin Timberlake is very funny and self-aware in in most of the that is comedy when, parts that he plays. Yes, that's when he's at his best, I think, too. But, um... Someone, what is it that you were trying to say earlier? <laughs> oh, wait. I'm sorry if I silenced you. Women's voices are important. I have one more thing, if you want to put it in, but you don't have to, which is just <clears throat> when we're talking about the judges. So, she, so Allison Porter did get four chair turns from all four judges. She ends up choosing Christina Aguilera, which... Then, as the winner, meant that it was the first female coach that had won. So, like, Christina had been on. Who else used to be on it? It was Christina. The voice has been on for so much longer than I realized. I feel like Kelly Clarkson had maybe been on by that time. Who was the original lineup? It was Blake, Adam, Christina, and someone else. Okay, the original panel, Christina Aguilera, CeeLo. Oh my god, I forgot about CeeLo. He's a sex pest. Adam Levine and Blake Shelton. Wait, CeeLo's a sex yeah, pest? Yeah, he's been like pretty, what's the word I'm looking for? Pretty, when widely something is shunned. not widely shunned. <laughs> when someone is like accused of something and it's like probably true. Oh, um, reportedly, allegedly. Oh, and you say it like the person who did it had a, had like, oh my god, it's guys. Okay. Maybe My mom I, brain is contagious. Right? Convincingly. Convincingly is like the not the word I'm looking for, but it's like kind of what I mean. Yeah, he's he's had Absolutely. some he's had some like pretty convincing accusations of like assault, like sexual assault oh, or it's harassment at the very least. Yeah, and so he hasn't shown up on that stuff. And when 
you think about all of the things that he's had his like been involved with. You're yeah. like, oh my god, CeeLo. But yeah, CeeLo obviously is no longer on the voice. Um, oh, can I share two pieces of personal pop culture news? Yes, please. Okay, number one, I went to an amazing wedding on Friday. The bride and groom have such good energy, and it was so much fun. But the bride's cousin or cousins were there, um, and my husband was like, "Oh, did you hear Miss Universe is coming?" And I was like, how are we going to know which one she is? And he was like, oh, you'll know. And I knew. Yeah, she looks like Miss Universe. And then I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. We saw Miss Universe. Like, that's pretty neat or whatever. Wow, she was pretty. And then I looked at her Instagram up the next day. She has over 5 million followers. Olivia Culpo. Olivia Culpo literally became Miss Universe. And then, like, within a year was dating Nick Jonas. Oh my god. Um, she's she was from Rhode Island too, that's the cool part. So yes, this wedding that Sarah was at with Olivia Culpo. Olivia Culpo was Miss Universe, I think, ten years ago. Twenty twelve, I believe. Wow. Well she still looks great. She dated Nick Jonas. She was beautiful. And yeah. she does like it and it's not even just how she looks though, it's it is like her presentation. She looks like Miss Universe. Yes. But she also has like a new show on TLC with her sisters. I think they're trying to yeah, make them like that. more more um just like normal Kardashians yeah, down to earth down to earth yeah well the only time I got to chatting with her was we were admiring a really adorable newborn baby and the mom was there I think the baby was only like two three weeks old and she said yeah I also have a one and a half year old and I was like whoa and I'm like what's your baby's name and she told me the name and then she's like well I mean technically his name is, let's say, John. Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, my older son, the one and a half year old, his name is John. And I accidentally wrote all, all of the paperwork. I wrote his name on all of it. So now I have two sons named John. And I was like, listen, oh when you give birth, you don't know. You've just given yeah. birth, but you don't know what's going on. But Olivia Culpo thought that was very funny. And then she was like holding a baby. I was like, oh, wow, she is Miss Universe. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, other piece of personal pop culture news. We are having a special little movie night. We're going to show the film Scream. It Molly, is. why is Scream important Scream is the best. I don't want to give away my whole, like, Spiel. thing about Scream. But Scream is... A classic of the horror genre. It is also mostly a comedy. And I also think it's... I think that Scream is great because it's a touchstone of horror, but it's also a touchstone, I think, of, like, teen movies. Mm -hmm. It is stacked with just, like, a super charismatic cast of hot (laughs) 90s teen actors. Like, you know, the ones. They weren't really teens, but they were teen actors. Um, But it is also... My very favorite thing about Scream is that Scream is a love letter to film. And so we are gonna we are gonna be watching Scream. Yeah, and Wednesday, October twenty sixth. If you want more information, you can reach out. We're sending out invitations. We have like a mailing list of friends of the show, and it's mostly people who have been on the show or supported the show in some way. But, we but if you want to be included, shoot us a, a DM. Yes, we will be like we will be posting some further information um, about it because it's not like a it's kind of like a secret walls or a so far sounds type of thing oh yeah so it's not like closed off but we're we're gonna keep it a little bit hush hush for fun Um, secret show the cinema worcester connect is really awesome because they have like a two-story high screen and so we're gonna project it on this huge screen um with campfires and a scotch tasting thanks to Derek. I initially reached out to our beautiful friend Joy and she is she's going to 
that week, right? We're not supposed to say that. Never mind. But she's been (laughs) undergoing um, a new entrepreneurial exciting effort. And so she was busy. So I think maybe we'll do like a Christmas event with her. Maybe we could do a Christmas movie. I was excited to hear from our friend Derek Grimm. He represents Benriak. Is that how you'd say it? That's how I would say, yeah. Um, Benriach. Yeah, and so he's going to do a scotch tasting for all of our guests. So if you want to know more or reach out, you know where to find us on the internet. At Poppet Worcester. Uh, we recently changed our thumbnail picture to one of the awesome Creations. designs. Yes, yeah. by Lindsay Pope. Lindsay Pope. Lindsay Pope designed our very cool thing. We have some sticker sheets. We have stuff like that. Um, if you like T-shirts. that little design, yes. Oh, well, yeah, sorry. I still have lots of sticker sheets. We have stickers that we're going to give away at this event, and then also some t-shirts from Hundred Acre Design. Maybe more. Yeah, so we're really excited. Um, I hope you are, too. And Sloan, do you have anything else you want to throw out there? (laughs) I have been Sarah. I have been Molly. And this is Poppy. I just got so close to that. That was fun. That was fun.